Welcome to the Zoo Taxi Podcast, a series of twice-monthly conversations that center a unique LGBTQ voice in such areas as science, religion, culture, poetry, and current events. My name is Don Stouter, and I'll be your host for these explorations, sermons, editorials, and essays. For the record, the name Zoo Taxi comes from a license plate I saw one day, driving through the California high desert. I should also probably get this out of the way right up front. I'm originally from New Jersey, and so sometimes I say naughty words. Children should probably not be listening to my show. Meanwhile, sit back and enjoy the Zoo Taxi on the Anchor Podcast Network. So welcome to this inaugural episode of the Zoo Taxi. Like I said, my name is Don Stouter. This being my first episode of Zoo Taxi, you all probably deserve some context. I'm a writer and a photographer and a healer myself, having worked in healthcare for nearly 45 years, first as an EMT paramedic and then as a hospital chaplain. And now I work with hospice patients in my full-time day job. I'm also a researcher and theologian and social scientist And one of the reasons for producing this podcast is to give me an opportunity to start conversations about the many things that interest me and about the uniqueness of my experience in these various roles, as well as to center the LGBTQ experience throughout these little conversations. So that's my short story. I hope you'll take the time and the opportunity to tell me your story by leaving me a voice message at anchor.fm slash zootaxi. As long as you don't use dirty words, I promise I'll put you on the air. For more on me personally, you can check out my website at donaldstouter.com. In this episode, I want to explore the notion of Jesus as a man only and not anyone's theological construct. As a man, I believe he was a healer, and so I want to talk about a humanist perspective of Jesus the healer. Much of my source material today comes from a sermon I preached at the UU Church of the Desert in Rancho Mirage, California on June 2nd, 2019. The other thing I want to point out about this little conversation we're going to have about Jesus the Healer is how important it is to center Jesus not as a God but as a man when we go up against the religious right trying to take down the LGBTQ community just because there are some scary parts of the Bible that they're interpreting in a discriminatory way. So we're going to keep that as part of this conversation also. So for most of my career as a minister and chaplain, there's been increased conversation and study around the intersections of spirituality and science, specifically spirituality and healing. A lot of people have made a lot of money as speakers and authors and healers, but there's also been quite a bit of mainstream research done in these areas by people like Dr. Larry Dossey and Dr. Herbert Benson, as well as the people who worked on the now-famous Mid-America Heart Study, which demonstrated in a pretty well-organized study with over a 1,000 patients that remote prayer was associated with better outcomes following heart attack and cardiac surgery. During this same period of years, 
there's also been a renewed interest in researching the historical Jesus, and by that I mean who we think the man himself really was, as well as what he really said and what he really did. In my mind, the most important part of this endeavor was the founding of the Jesus Seminar back in 1985. This was a new think tank comprised of about 50 historical, critical, biblical scholars whose mission it was to try and tease out the real voice of Jesus of Nazareth from the redacted and rewritten Gospels handed down to us through the ages. Because I have an interest in both of these areas, the intersection of spirituality and healing, as well as the historical Jesus, it seemed natural to find a way to fuse them and see what we can discover about Jesus the Healer. One of the scholars on the Jesus Seminar team is Dr. Stephen Davies, who wrote a book called, quote, Jesus as Healer, unquote. A statement he makes in the book summarizes where the consensus of research still stands. Quote, no fact about Jesus of Nazareth, he says, is so widely and repeatedly attested in the, go in the Gospels as the fact that he was a healer of people in mental and physical distress. I'd also point out at this point in time that all of the work that the Jesus Seminar did never found one single passage in the New Testament that had anything to say about how gay and lesbian men and women should live their lives. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Zoo Taxi on the Anchor Podcast Network. So welcome back to the Zoo Taxi. We're talking about uh, uh, notions of uh, uh, Jesus the healer. From my own study of the Gospels, both canonical ones like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but also non-canonical ones like the Gospel of Thomas, it seems clear to me that the person we call Jesus was a healer, and healing was central to his followers' ministry. My belief is that Jesus provides us with an image of healing the physical, mental, social and spiritual dimensions of life that is very much akin to a modern, multidisciplinary model of healing and illness. For some moderns who engage in such healing, Jesus represents the theological foundation for their healing ministry. For others of a wide variety of beliefs, he's a source of spiritual wisdom. I think there's much to be learned from using Jesus as an image of holistic healing, regardless of our faith or belief. Let me digress a bit and put this conversation into a larger context. Although I was once a Christian with a small c, I consider myself to be a humanist and have for many, many years. But that has never changed my interest or excitement in the search for the real Jesus. And so let me tell you a little bit more about the work of the Jesus Seminar, because I truly do believe it was and continues to be some of the most interesting and groundbreaking work that has come out of the academic side of religion in at least the last 100 years. The Jesus Seminar was a group of about 50 critical biblical scholars and 100 lay people founded in 1985 by Robert Funk that originated under the auspices of the West Star Institute in Northern California. The seminar was very active through the 1980s and 1990s and then well into the early 21st century. 
Members of the seminar used votes with colored beads to decide their collective view of the historicity of the deeds and sayings of Jesus of Nazareth. They produced new translations of the New Testament to use as textual sources. They published their results in three reports that were actually books. The first one, The Five Gospels, in 1993. Then came The Acts of Jesus in 1998. And finally, The Gospel of Jesus in 1999. They also ran a series of lectures and workshops in various U.S. cities, and their work completely broke open the study of non-canonical Gospels and made them popular, especially the Gospel of Thomas. The seminar's reconstruction of the historical Jesus portrayed him as an itinerant Jewish sage and faith healer who preached a gospel of liberation from injustice in startling parables and aphorisms. Jesus broke with established Jewish theological dogmas and social conventions in both his teachings and his behavior, often by turning common-sense ideas upside down, confounding the expectations of his audience. He preached of heaven's imperial rule, traditionally translated as kingdom of God, as already present but unseen. He depicts God as a loving father. He fraternizes with outsiders and criticizes insiders. According to the seminar, Jesus was a mortal man born of two human parents who did not perform nature miracles nor die as a substitute for sinners nor rise bodily from the dead. Sightings of a risen Jesus represented the visionary experiences of some of his disciples, rather than physical encounters. While all of these claims, not accepted by conservative Christian laity, have been repeatedly made in various forms since the 18th century, what was unique about the Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus Seminar was its consensual research methodology. The seminar treats the canonical Gospels as historical sources that represent Jesus' actual words and deeds, as well as elaborations of the early Christian community and of the Gospel authors. The scholars place the burden of proof on those who advocate any passage accuracy. Unconcerned with canonical boundaries, they even asserted that the Gospel of Jesus may have more authentic material than the Gospel of John, even. The seminar holds a number of premises or, quote, scholarly wisdom about Jesus when critically approaching the Gospels. They act on the premise that Jesus did not hold an apocalyptic worldview, opinion, an opinion that is obviously uh, uh, controversial in mainstream scholarly studies of Jesus. The fellows argue that the authentic words of Jesus, rather than revealing an apocalyptic eschatology which instructs his disciples to prepare for the end of the world, indicate that he preached a perspective that encourages all of God's children to nurture the world. In 1998, the Jesus Seminar published The Acts of Jesus, The Search for the Authentic Deeds of Jesus. To create the material for this book, they voted on the individual acts of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels, much as they'd previously voted on the individual sayings attributed to him. According to the Jesus Seminar, 
first, Jesus of Nazareth was born during the reign of Herod the Great. His mother's name was Mary, and he had a human father whose name may not have been Joseph. Jesus was born in Nazareth, not in Bethlehem. Jesus was an itinerant sage who shared meals with social outcasts. Jesus practiced faith healing without the use of ancient medicine or magic, relieving afflictions we now consider psychosomatic. He did not walk on water, feed the multitude with loaves and fishes, change water into wine, or raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus was arrested in Jerusalem and crucified by the Romans. He was executed as a public nuisance, not for claiming to be the Son of God. The empty tomb is a fiction. Jesus was not raised bodily from the dead. Belief in the resurrection is based on the visionary experiences of Paul, Peter, and Mary Magdalene. So, I'm thinking maybe I should let you chew on that a little bit. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Zoo Taxi on the Anchor Podcast Network. So, welcome back to the show. I really think that having conversations about humanizing Jesus helps the LGBTQ community claim him as an ally. So, let's get back to it. In some of the passages of canonical and non-canonical scripture that the Jesus Seminar found to be authentic, Jesus heals many bodily ailments, including fever, paralysis, leprosy, blindness, deafness, a withered hand, edema, and other illnesses. Of course, it's not always possible to, create, to equate 1st or 2nd century descriptions with modern classifications of disease. These healings of the body took place through words and touch. The rituals were simple, the words had no real magical quality to them, and occasionally an anointing took place often with saliva and perhaps some dirt. This begs the question, how should we understand from the words given to us in ancient texts the way in which Jesus' healing ministry took place? Some scholars, some scholars say that if Jesus healed ailments such as the ones I've mentioned, then those cases were of a certain sort, not just any disorders, but disorders of the kind that can be healed on the spot by the words or the self-presentation of the healer. Dr. Davies regards these disorders as psychosomatic in nature, or more precisely as conversion disorders in which a person converts a psychological problem into a physical manifestation, something we now call somatization disorder. As he sees it, Jesus heals through the modality of forgiveness. He cites as a classic example the story of the paralytic, as told in the Gospel of Mark. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, 
They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking this? Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say that this paralyzed man your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. What are we to make of this explanation of Jesus' healings? Conversion and somatization disorders must have occurred then as now. Just as Jesus addressed the issue of forgiveness with this man, which may have been the key to his cure, there's a role to be played today by a spiritual ministry that addresses guilt and forgiveness, not to mention an entire counseling and psychotherapy industry that has shown its efficacy for decades. Certainly the Roman Catholics think so in their sacrament of confession and absolution, and it's also a central feature of many 12-step programs such as Alcoholics Anonymous. Think about your own life for a moment. Have you ever felt healed by the act of releasing guilt or shame, or by asking another for their forgiveness? If healing is a central feature of Jesus' ministry, perhaps that has something to do with the power of forgiveness. Talking about processing feelings to bring about healing is one thing, but what about the power of prayer to heal? Well, maybe there are some connections. First, if the person who's experiencing the healing can hear my prayer and my references to forgiveness and therefore feels that forgiveness as the result of that prayer, then that potential connection makes sense. But how do we explain randomized, controlled, double-blind, prospective, parallel group studies like the Mid-America Heart Study? Smaller studies have since been done and the results were mixed. But this study of over 1,000 participants published in the Archives of Internal Medicine, which by the way is no slouch journal, demonstrated that intercessory prayer, or prayer for others who were ill without their knowledge, was clearly associated with better outcomes in cardiac patients. On this subject, I remain agnostic. I believe that more study is needed and that if there is something going on, we're more likely to be talking about energy healing than divine intervention. But I have many clergy colleagues who would see this differently. Other theologians, among them Dr. Morton Kelsey, take a different approach to understanding Jesus' healings. As he sees it, Jesus heals three kinds of illness, organic, functional, and mental. Most of Jesus' healings were of organic disease. Dr. Kelsey rejects attempts to explain Jesus' healings as relieving hysterical symptoms, though he does not deny that Jesus made some use of psychological methods. 
he characterizes Jesus' healing as the direct result of the healer's conscious and deliberate relationship to God. According to him, Jesus' methods did two things. They awakened the spirit that lay deep within these people waiting to be touched. And at the same time, his actions, words, and attitudes brought contact with the universal spirit, or the spirit of God. And again, chew on that for uh, for a second, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Zoo Taxi on the Anchor Podcast Network. Welcome back to the show. So there's another dimension, another perspective, if you will, of Jesus' healings that has not been written about much, but which hospital chaplain Robert Richardson discusses in an article called An Image of Holistic Care for the Sick. That perspective is the social implications of Jesus' healings. In the healing stories of the Gospels, many portray the social situations of those who came for healing, or in the case of the parable of the Good Samaritan, involved stories told by Jesus that were more about social justice than they were about healing. They portray the social situation of those who came for healing, demonstrating Jesus' attention to the poor and those who had no access to health care, to beggars, to widows, and to outcasts. These stories also differentiate Jesus from other healers who were his contemporaries. And I would also add, these are the stories that show me and tell me that Jesus was an ally of the LGBTQ community, or would be if he was alive today. The sick in Jesus' day were stigmatized and targets of social discrimination, conditions that we can relate to in our own time, with plagues such as the Spanish flu or polio or even AIDS. In his time and in ours, to put an end to this discrimination was an act of social criticism, which we now know was an important part of Jesus' healing ministry. Social medicine has shown how unjust circumstances contribute to making people ill, so it's often impossible to heal the sick without healing their relationships, the circumstances in which they live, and the structures of the social system to which they belong. The Gospel of Mark is literally filled with stories of the social dimension of Jesus' healing. We've heard about the paralytic, unable to walk and dependent upon his litter bearers. There is the bricklayer with the withered hand who is too handicapped to work. There is the possessed man, homeless and living among the tombs, a place of uncleanliness and death. There is the woman with a hemorrhage, unclean as far as sexual relations are concerned, and unclean religiously. And then there is the leper, isolated from society and from religious participation, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. 
Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. These are the people that Jesus went to or who approached him. Few would have access to physicians, and few were persons of power and authority. Jesus did not refuse healing to the rich and powerful, so he healed both the woman who had spent all her money on physicians and the daughter of the chief rabbi of the synagogue. Jesus healed across social and religious boundaries and did not hesitate to touch those who, were the, who, who the social structure of his day perceived to be unclean, whether due to hemorrhage or leprosy or spirit. He touches the untouchables and they are healed. He offers forgiveness and the demons flee. But as the sad end of his story shows, physical and mental illness flee, be, uh, flee before him more readily than the structures of power and control and institutional religion. The Pharisees never really go away. They morph across the ages and change their names and wear different clothing and now they might carry an iPhone and drive a nice car, but a Pharisee is a Pharisee. And they went ahead and tried a man in the state of Arizona only a few weeks ago for giving a cup of water to a thirsty person crossing the border. So Jesus' story, it turns out, is our story too. I have said for a long time that liberal churches, LGBTQ churches, should reclaim that story. Instead of running from Jesus in the Bible and our own Christian heritage, it's time for us to preach the word as loud as it takes for people to hear. Everybody is good enough to be healed. Everybody deserves forgiveness. The words of the angels to the shepherds in the field were meant for all people, and everyone, everyone, is welcome at the table. You know how I know that? Because it's right there in the Bible, and Jesus said so. And no Pharisee gets to walk away unchallenged. Virtually every part of the canonical and non-canonical Gospels that our friends at the Jesus Seminar thought were authentic have to do with stories or acts of healing and hospitality. I don't know if Jesus was a real person, but I believe that someone like him lived then, because people like him have always been here. They always show up, and they always point to the Pharisees, and they always get crucified. If there was ever a central myth to our human existence, that would be it. And you know, as a proud gay man, I've decided that I simply don't care what the Pharisees do anymore. If the thirsty need water, I'm going to give them water. If the hungry need food, I'm going to give them food. As a hospital chaplain, I will visit the sick and those in prison, and I will clothe the naked. I will do these things through a hail of insults or a hail of gunfire, and I will do them because Jesus told me to and because I know in my heart of hearts that standing up for the least among us is what it means to be healed. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Zoo Taxi on the Anchor Podcast Network.
so, welcome back to the show. I'm one of those people who thinks that poetry comforts and heals. So just like the way they used to end CBS Sunday morning with a long meditative clip of something in nature, I'm going to end each of our episodes with an inspiring poet or poem. Who better to begin that tradition than the late lesbian poet Mary Oliver, reading her magnificent poem, Wild Geese. Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination. Calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. So that's our show for episode one. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit our website at anchor.fm slash zootaxi, where you can make a contribution to help support the show or leave me an audio comment to play on the air. I'm also searchable on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I tend to use social media as a blog as well as a forum to share my photography, which I hope you enjoy. So till next time, I'm Don Stouter, and this is Zoo Taxi, hosted by the Anchor Podcast Network. Be kind, be generous, forgive everyone, and love your neighbor. No exceptions. Thank you.